Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to another episode of the Longview Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, after a week-long hiatus, having to celebrate Thanksgiving. Hope everyone got to enjoy theirs. And, you know, things have been different since last time we recorded. I mean, no John Morant right now. Um, Grizzlies are now fifth in the West, so that's pretty cool. It's probably obviously going to change throughout the season, especially with how tight four through ten is. But enjoy the ride for right now. Um, but we got a very special guest, but before I introduce him, let me tell you how you can keep in touch with the pod and the blog. You can subscribe to the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. And you can find the blog over at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. And I'm introducing our guest this week. He runs the Twitter account called Thunder Film Room. He is Yosef Maruf. Yosef, how's it going, man? Good, man. Excited to be on. Thanks for having me. No problem. And so, obviously, we are, we're having a Thunder guest for this Grizzlies pod because as we're recording this, the Grizzlies and the Thunder will be matching up tomorrow. And, Yosef, it's really quite a huge bummer that we're getting robbed of not only John Morant playing, but I saw Josh Giddy is out with an illness. So hopefully that isn't affecting his status for tomorrow's game, but I, I still feel like it'd be a pretty good game. We got jo- or SGA versus Dylan Brooks, uh, Jaron Jackson versus Darius Baisley, a former Grizzly Darius Baisley brief moment. But, um, but before we really get diving in here, I, I want to ask you because you know you run a big film account, you got twenty thousand followers plus. What got you into wanting to study film? I mean, obviously, as you can see with the Oklahoma City Thunder, you go to OU. Uh, I'm not going to ask you about Lincoln Riley. I, I don't want to <laughs> trigger you or anything, but you are an Oklahoma fan. You are from Oklahoma, so what got you into covering the film aspect of it, though? Well, I'd say mostly it happened during the pandemic. Uh, I didn't play like high level basketball growing up. Uh, I think highest level was like AAU until my junior year of high school. Um, I was more of a, I played football. So like, I love like the X's and O's of football mostly, but I'm like, I'm obsessed with the NBA. So whenever, you know, there was no sports or anything like that, I'd been following Laker film room on my personal Twitter for years. Um, and then ran across his videos on YouTube and just like started, I mean, it was probably around May of that time. And I just for three, four weeks was watching stuff every day. Um, and then slowly just started learning more and more and more. And then I realized like there wasn't really anyone kind of doing that for the Thunder um, in terms of content creators. So I think like around last December, around this time, honestly, last year was when I made the account. And so between last year and this year, you got over 20,000 followers. Not necessarily. So there was another Thunder blog site that was run uh, by game, by a guy named Chuck. Um, he's like a real journalist, uh, editor in Kansas, and he's been running it for since like 2011. Um, mm-hmm. And he messaged me in June because currently my regular just Joseph account was the Thunder Film Room account. So I got it up to around 4.2, 4,000 followers, somewhere around there. And he messaged me that he just can't do both work and cover the Thunder anymore. So he ended up just giving me that account at like, it was around 17, 18,000 followers. So I was, I got an unfair head start, honestly. No, but still, I mean, you, you built up a good following and I mean, to be completely honest for people that can't really watch Thunder games regularly, or you had those people where it's like, Oh, I don't want to watch the Thunder. They're, they're not a good team. Like you're giving people a good insight of what's going on with the Thunder. And it's not like you're just using that film account to profile 
Lou Dort, SGA, um, Josh Giddy. You're really looking at every player on that team, and it, it's it's become a way I've been tapped in with the Thunder. So I, I think you're doing great work there. But uh, before we really get into like I guess the long view sense of things, I gotta ask you because uh, Stephen Adams has become pretty wishy washy here. I personally like him because I like the stuff that he does well, and I like the fact that his presence allows for guys like Jaron Jackson, Desmond Bain, John Morant to get more touches than they frankly would have gotten with Jonas Valanciunas, who is a superior player to Steven Adams. But I do like the stuff that Steven Adams provides, but I think people have been poking holes at his defense. Uh, kind of can get some stone hands a little bit when it comes to entry passes and stuff. So can you just, from your perspective, kind of just uncover the Steven Adams experience for us and kind of just shed light for us on that front? I mean, as much as I hate to say it, this has been a lingering thing with Steve almost his whole career. Um, His body just breaks down as the season goes. And this year it's happened a little faster, it feels like, in terms of just not just the body breaking down, but even performance-wise. I know a lot of people poke holes at the defense. I've always thought that he was a lot more of a fundamentally sound defender. Um, He's just not that shot blocker or that that guy who's really going to make a presence. But the way I see it is if he can just deter defenders uh, from coming into the paint, it'll help. But overall, I think with him, the biggest thing always is like he's while his, his stats don't jump out at you. And I know a lot of people say, Oh, he does everything that doesn't pop up on the stat sheet. That's a guy that truly like people say, Oh, I don't care about my stats. I just want to win. That's a guy that genuinely means it. I mean, I've never seen a guy just absolutely care if he had one point or 10 points. Um, I think the biggest unappreciated part of his game is his passing. Um, I think we saw it a little in the starting of the year. Uh, There was a few clips I saw where like jaw was backdoor cutting and he hit him perfectly. Um, But he, it's just a health thing. And at this point in his career, I just don't think it's ever going to change. I hate to, be negative in that type of way because I hate being negative around any of these guys but mm-hmm. it's just I remember there was a time in Oklahoma City where the second he would come out of the game he's going straight to the stationary bike in the uh, tunnel so yeah no and then he's got a lot of mileage on him as well I mean those, those Thunder teams they weren't getting eliminated in like the first or second round most of the time or anything like most I mean he had two trips to the Western Conference Finals. Um, he went to the playoffs every year from 2014 to 2020. So he he has those extra mileage behind beyond just regular season play, and that's going to add up for a big man for sure. But, no, his passing in particular has just been wicked because, like, I like to categorize, like, these passers and these assist numbers where it's like, okay, where are they getting their assist numbers? Is it just through the flow of the offense where – There'll be somewhere it's like, oh, dribble handoff, two dribble pull up assist, or oh, just extra pass, three pointer assist. But like, he's legitimately like making reads and threading needles. I know he has this one little thing he does with Desmond Bain where he fakes the dribble handoff, Bain curls around and goes uh, towards the rim, and Bain just like slips a right handed pass over to him. It's about automatic every time, but. I think in everyone's now just, you know, because now Jonas Valanciunas is shooting threes, dropping 30 burgers, and his nickname is Dirk Valanciunas. And I just think there's a little more nuance to a trade beyond just they traded this player for this player, but this player has been better. So it's a bad trade. Surely being a Thunder fan, getting more picks instead of player quality, you kind of understand that feeling a little bit. No, for sure. And I agree. I think we're going to talk about it later, but I also think it slightly, you know, it helps them in terms of being patient and not being, you know, too, too good way too soon. Um, While I think Valanciunas is like, I think he's an elite big man in the league Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of how you want to develop the young guys, as we talked about, I think Steven's one of the best screen setters in the league. Um, I was really excited just to see the screens he had set for jaw this season. Russ benefited them for, uh, for a while last year with BI, the dribble handoff was like, BI would just come off the handoff and every time wide open mid range shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the difficult thing about Steve is a lot of people will look at whenever you see a big and people are expecting, okay, he's going to be there pick and roll 
uh, rim runner. And Steve is really none of those things, if we're going to be honest. And I think that right. the worst part about it is like, he does have nice touch around the basket. Um, he has this nice little in the pick and roll where he, it's like a hook jump shot within the restricted air, restricted area. I think the biggest thing with him is just the, the game just changed so quickly under his feet, you know, um, yep. especially in the, Houston Thunder series. It takes Steve a while. If you could, if you pass the ball to him in the post, it takes him a while just to get set up and really like start actually backing the defender down. Um, so I think it's he's a guy that's been heavily criticized mostly because of the big contract equals big uh, bad yeah. player automatically. But like I, I remember whenever Memphis did the trade, I I loved it for Memphis. Um, you you still were able to turn other guys around and get Jared Culver. Obviously, uh, they had to buy out Rondo, right? Rondo. They did buy out Rondo, and then okay, Culver has been with the hustle yeah. more often than yeah, he's Rondo, been. So, but like, I like that one just because like Culver was, you know, a swing for a young guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of just the culture, especially like grit and grind, I I don't think there's a better guy than Stephen Adams. Uh, how has like the fan like did the fan base hold animosity towards him from like during those playoff uh... matchups? A little bit. And then, you know, he starts doing the passes and stuff and he's dropping 15 and 15s in preseason and everyone's like, oh crap, we might've actually won this trade. But I think the fact of his limited usage and then he's getting burned defensively for a lot of the parts that you mentioned, as far as just like, he's not a rim protector. That's not, he's not this bouncy rim protector or anything. He's just kind of more of a, a team defender in the flow of things. I think he's, getting a bad rap on it because the point of attack defense has been pretty bad. Yeah. So I, I think that's been kind of putting Steve-O in tough spots, but I mean, he's been pretty fun. Uh, obviously he had a all timer of a media day for sure, but I, he's just going to be a wishy-washy guy, especially since there's a lot of people who are ready to just throw Jaron Jackson jr. At the five full time. And while I'm one of those people, they're not going to do that as long as Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson Jr. are a positive together. And I think their net rating right now is like a little under plus eight per hundred possessions. But when Steven Adams isn't with Jaron, it's like almost minus 20. That's pretty bad. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating just because like, he's a great guy. You know, you, that's like when Steven Adams is just one of those guys that you really want to succeed and you see him in the summer. I know this past summer there was videos of him like curling off the three-point line and like hitting threes. And for years, Thunder reporters said he would sit there and hit 15 to 20 threes in a row in games. Um, and there was, I think, two years in a row where like the Thunder genuinely wanted him to start shooting threes and just even extending his game uh, inside the three-point line. And it just never really happened. Um, he's a guy that like very much is like, if he doesn't think at all, it's going to benefit the team. He won't do it. Even though like maybe starting to shoot threes a year early will be more beneficial in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like, I remember I was very shocked whenever new Orleans gave him that contract, like my jaw dropped um, happy for him, obviously. Uh, it's just the games changed and like to guys like him and even another guy like Enos Kanner, someone like those guys just didn't have the benefit of being able to adapt to it. Right. Absolutely. And I do want to shift over to one of the bright young players we really want to talk about. And that is Josh Giddy. Uh, I've been so Josh Giddy is a very interesting case in particular in relation to these two teams, because like as Grizz, people that cover the Grizzlies were pretty used and even the fans itself, like we're pretty used to Zach Kleiman and his front office just throwing stuff out of left field. Like there's like a trade where it's like, oh, that like the raw, like for example, like the Rondo for or the Rondo Beverly Otoro for uh Air Bloodsoe trade, yeah, the Jonas Valanciunas trade, stuff like that. Like nobody ever saw it coming. And that's just kind of been the MO. Uh trading up for Brandon Clark, uh trading up. For, I think one of the biggest shockers was trading up for Desmond Bain. Like I still feel the adrenaline rush from that. So they keep everything pretty quiet. But after that trade where they moved at the 10th, pretty quickly it came out that they really wanted Josh Giddy, which was like kind of like, okay, not only is it because this is pretty loud, but like his pre-draft evaluation has been was he needs a ball in his hands. 
He can't really shoot. Like, do you really want that kind of guy next to Jaw? Because it's just a smoke screen. But by by all accounts, we never really got to figure that out because Oklahoma City selected him at six. Uh, you can kind of get into the vibe from the fan base when that happened, but I do. I'm very interested in the return so far of the pairing with him and SGA, especially considering those pre-draft evaluations of Giddy not really moving off the ball. Because I can kind of tell from your clips, he's doing a really good job of attacking and playmaking from the wing. So I'm very interested to see how the Josh Giddy experience is going for y'all. I've honestly loved it. And I think a lot of people, a lot of people came in low expectations in terms of the fan base. Um, I think that's just due to playing in the NBL and him not, you know, being on TV every night because he's not playing in college. Uh, overall, I do think the best for him is to have the ball in his hands. Um, there's already a majority of the Thunder fan base that are like, oh, he needs it without a doubt. But I think it's so important to be able to develop just him as an off-ball player. Um, while Shea and Jaw are different in terms of like play style, they're both, you know, ball dominant. And I would say the same even if he was in Memphis right now. Um, mm-hmm. And you can tell at times that him and Shea pairing isn't fully natural. Like you can tell sometimes they take turns and it's a little awkward, but like that's that's just the growing pains that they have to go through. Um, uh, Josh opened up the season shooting, I think, way better than anyone predicted. Um, the it, it was just, it was looking great. And then he hit a rough patch, you know, regression to the mean. And now he's, he's looked a lot more like a rookie. Um, I think the biggest thing with him is the game comes easy to him in terms of feel. Um, he does not ever seem like he's being rushed. I think the biggest thing for him is just physically he's lacking in terms of hip flexibility. He, he stands straight up when he dribbles. Um, he can't really beat he's barely beating any defenders off the ball the only reason he is is because he's pretty like i hate to use this but like deceptively quicker than like they are even expecting yes. and i i understand um, why you hate saying that one yeah. yeah i i yeah i i really hate like i just hate using that in general but it's like he really is i don't think a defender's expecting him to actually attack them um because even at one point he beat in clutch time beat paul george off the dribble for a mid-range pull-up i think the biggest question marks with him is his self-creation um, in terms of like actually for himself, just because the jumper's a little funky and it's pretty hard for him to be able to get like an off, off the dribble basket, stuff like that. The windup is really slow, but in terms of everything else, like I, I was high on him coming in. So I've kind of posted a little more about him kind of just running victory laps on like the part of the fan base that was essentially like attacking an 18 year old kid that they've never actually watched because the person they wanted didn't get picked. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I, I don't blame you. And I, I will say I had Giddy still as a lottery prospect, but especially with, I, I definitely underrated the feel aspect a little bit, especially like Giddy, Franz, Scotty Barnes. I love those guys lottery, but I'm like, ah, why did I have this guy behind this guy kind of thing, but still very early. But I, I will say just, like, he kind of just has a little bit of that, like, funk to him from what I've seen so far. And, like, even if he's not a superstar, like, if he's just, like, six foot eight, six foot nine, Ricky Rubio, like, that's still a starter-level player in this league. And Ricky had a lot of those, like, similar concerns. But, I mean, he turned it around. He, his jumper isn't fully there, but it's kind of there. Good enough. It's good enough. Yeah. But no, I, I really like that f- fit with y'all with Josh Giddy. I will say too, I, I'm not in college anymore, but if I was and I was still in my DH gate jersey phase, I would have 100% got a Josh Giddy jersey by now. He is the Gen Z superstar that the NBA needs when it comes to not only his flash and pizzazz, but his TikTok as well. And I, I think he could be a really, really solid player next to XGA. And it kind of goes into what I'm going to transition into as far as building around John SGA. When it comes to the Thunder, I remember hearing, uh, I think it was Jonathan Charks talk about it. They were talking about the directions that the Thunder can go with their picks and building around SGA. And I think he said something along the lines of like, they can literally just target these like big, like six, 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 six and up guys 
that can just do a bunch of different stuff with the ball and basically create a bunch of uh, matchup advantages and stuff because of their size and creation. I think we're seeing the first real dose of that right now with Josh Giddy. Uh, do you see that as a potential system in play for Oklahoma City? I mean, it's SGA, Giddy, Dort's an attacker. You can see they kind of were trying to do that with Poku a little bit, even though Poku, he's just very raw right now. But do you think that's going to be the recipe for building around a SGA and Giddy core is just to get a bunch of jumbo guys that could just do a lot of different stuff with the ball and switch all over the court? A hundred percent. And it's different because the Sam Presti stereotype until like 2019, I want to say was every draft he was going to take a long, lanky, athletic guy who didn't know how to play basketball and they were going to coach him the skills. Okay. And everything else, you know, he has all the natural uh, athleticism. And I want to say around two years ago, Bayes was kind of the first like, okay, he can actually like dribble the ball and he can do a little more than just do crazy dunks. Um, and that's really where they've gone. You can tell they want high field guys, guys who can, I think it's, it's going to create problems in terms of development, trying to develop so many ball, uh, primary ball handlers, but like, for example, JRE, um, that was another guy. A lot of people mm -hmm. inferred that OKC was just going to take a swing at high potential guys on every pick. And so like draft night, some people were pretty underwhelmed because, okay, Josh, JRE, these are high field guys that beforehand you're looking like, okay, yeah, they don't have a super high ceiling, um, but they'll, they'll be a good player, but it's, it's pretty evident that the Thunder are like trying to insert this off this fluid offensive system. That's having guys move without the ball and also playing defense. Um, everyone has been complaining about, for example, Trey man, not playing, but it's solely because, uh, he, his defensive uh, abilities were lacking at the time. I think Mark Dagnold said like, we want to give him his Skittles, but he has to eat his broccoli first. Right. So you like, I think I went to the two games over Thanksgiving break and uh, he played Friday night against the wizards. And you saw him like absolutely picking up whoever he was playing at half court. Um, and I think that's, that's just how in terms of like teams like Memphis and Oklahoma city, these smaller markets that like, while we haven't really won championships there, there's a, there's a definite culture there. You mm -hmm. know, it's not this toxic environment. You don't ever hear things coming out or leaking from either organization. Uh, and it's Sam Presti started at the Spurs. He has admired them his whole career. And so while no one can ever duplicate or do anything that the Spurs did in terms of winning, I think in terms of like a system, it's very clear that they're trying to get like, as Mark Daniel says, like guys who are going to come in and like blue collar work. They're going to work hard. They're going to move without the ball and they're going to do all the gritty stuff to, I mean, last year, half these guys were just fighting for NBA jobs. Um, right. And that's why I thought they were hustling so hard. But then you have guys like Kenrich Williams, who like still every time he's on the court, dude is up and down hustling every play. Yeah, it's, it's a really fun brand of basketball to see. And we still got to like, we're still waiting on the returns, obviously. Y'all are going to be deep into draft stuff this year with Paolo, Chet, all, all those kind of guys. All right, real quick before we move on, you brought up Baisley. Between the Clark and Baisley dealios, I know Thunder and Grizzly fans kind of beefed over that a little bit. Like, can we just like both agree that both teams got what they wanted? Like exactly. That's that's what I same thing's happening right now with Rocket fans and Thunder fans are like Sangoon and the two picks. And I'm like, guy, like running victory laps right now, like for a rookie who's played 20 games or running victory laps over two draft picks right now are pointless. Like clearly the Thunder valued the two picks Rockets valued saying you and like both teams can come out of a trade happy and get what they want. And there doesn't necessarily always have to be like a quote unquote winner, you know, like, especially mm -hmm. in the, the Thunder and Memphis trade, like both teams clearly got what they wanted and both teams like necessarily aren't really winners as of right now. Yeah, like I, I, I would say like they're, they're both, they, they're getting what they want. I mean, Brandon Clark, high floor guy who's going to bring a lot of energy on both sides of the ball. Darius Baisley, raw, more raw prospects, younger guy can require some patience, but he has flashes of skill that can turn into something. I think, they, yeah. I think they're doing the right thing. But I will say with, with our two teams and the one thing that we have in common beyond just small market, 
being patient, stuff like that. It's the fact that they already have these all-star, all-NBA potential kind of guys in place right now with John Moran and SGA. Uh, I've seen it throughout, obviously, on a national scale as well, throughout guys like Zach Lowe, guys over at the Ringer, the Athletic, and just how SGA has grown as a player and taking on less of this complimentary role that we saw with the Clippers were in his first year with Oklahoma City. Like, he is the guy – and he's looking damn good while doing it. And it was really nice for him to kind of get that like quasi coming out party against LA. Yeah. Like the literally, it was like one of the one games, like the first non grizzly game I watched of the year. I'm like, all right, this Thunder game, Laker game, it's on NBA TV. Let's see what's up. And then like Shay just goes stupid. But it, it's it's really fun to have these guys in place and. I, I feel like with John Morant, he could be a guy that you could build a championship contender around. I think he's going to need a guy that either becomes a 2A to 2B kind of deal with Jaron Jackson, or he needs to be a 1B to John Morant's 1A. Where, where are you at on that evaluation of Shea, of Shea? Like, Do you think that he's a guy you can build a championship team around? And what kind of factors and skills – make you believe that if he could or if he's just like a 1A or 1B? I think in like terms of talent, whenever you're looking at it, like I think you can build a championship contender around him. I do think he can be a first option. I just, and maybe I'm in the minority of this, I just think it's so hard to win a championship with your point guard or just even your guard in general as your first option. Um, I like look at Portland, for example, I always, I know some people will use Golden State as the example, but that was an incredibly deep team that had three all-stars plus just an insane veteran group coming off the bench. Um, so as you said, like, I do think he needs a, a one, a one B or a two B behind Giddy. Um, I think a wing or a big is really where like that will help you actually win. I just think it's so, so hard for, when, when the times get tough, no matter what system you play, you know, you want the ball in your star's hands. And it's just, I think, a lot more difficult for a guard to make those crazy plays down the stretch than it is for elite wings like Giannis, Kevin Durant, LeBron, you know. It's, I mean, I will be the first to say, like, Thunder fans, I think, saw it firsthand with Russ. And while Russ is, I know, heavily flawed player, but, like, at his peak, he was a top three guard in the league. And like at that time, still, you just weren't winning a championship with him as your best player. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just hard, I think. And it's nothing against like guards. Like I do think like guys like John, guys like Shea, like especially both of them because they're, uh, they're elite offensive players. Um, they're some of the best finishers in the league. They're, I, I have high faith in both of them developing a consistent three-point shot. And I, I think it was you who posted like Josh shooting like upper 40s or upper 30s off the dribble from three. Yeah, it's like upper, it was like upper 30s, lower 40s. Yeah, and like that stuff like that gives me hope. And I know right now there's a lot of stuff around Shea because he changed his shot over the summer. Um, so he's kind of struggling from three. And I, I, my biggest thing for both of them is on the defensive end. Um, I think that's where it will really be like, it will determine whether you can win a championship with them being by far your best player, because especially for Shea, someone who it's hard to knock him because I, it's so hard to evaluate defense on tanking teams because you don't have a help defender making the correct rotation, but it's also hard to tell a guy who is by far the only reason your offense, even though you're often, you, we have the second worst offense in the league their, their offense would probably be worse than G league teams if it wasn't solely for him and Josh Giddy. So it's hard to tell a guy that has that much on his plate on the offensive end. Oh, go play defense, even though we're probably going to lose the game. Um, But it's just one of those things where it's like, that's the next step for him because there's a lot of times, I think last year, Patty Mills, the Spurs ran the same play five times in a row and Shea just got cooked on every one of them, every one of them. And it's, 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 it's a big talking point, like around like some of the Thunder group chats I'm in, but like, I have faith in both those guys. I do think that both of them, even as of right now, like say a year or two from now are good enough to be number one options on championship teams. I just think you have to build, you have to specially build a team around them since they're guards, if that makes sense. No, I I feel that for sure. 
And it kind of goes into like the formula that I think that these two teams are trying to deploy around jaw and around SGA. We talked about it briefly with getting a bunch of big wings around Shea and just making sure that nobody on the floor is under six, five. And that's a good formula. And I, I think with jaw, you brought up this thing with SGA with, and I think it applies with jaw where jaw has such a massive workload on offense where we just don't know where he is defensively on that regard. And I, I think there's hope for jaw. He's becoming a lot better uh, reading the defense in terms of uh, jumping into passing lanes and um, yeah, jumping into passing lanes and coming up with interceptions kind of like doing more of that kind of like the free safety kind of stuff when it comes yeah. to defense. It's just that point of attack defense just isn't there sometimes. Granted, I just think it kind of comes off screens and stuff. It's kind of to his size, but I think there's hope for him. His rookie season, the Grizzlies gave up 3.7 fewer points per 100 possessions on defense with him on the floor. So I think there's hope. But Zach Kleiman, after they drafted Zaire Williams, who was a big shock to the, I think honestly, probably a bigger shock than. Giddy going all the way to six. Like I, I think Zaire really shot people in that lottery until uh, Spurs tried to primo, but he brought up how it's just very hard these days to find guys that are six nine that could do what they do. And I think you know with them trading away Grayson Allen and doing more of these lineups where Jaron Jackson's at the five, and then you have Brandon Clark or Kyle Anderson, uh, Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain. Anthony Melton. They're just trying to get a lot of rangy guys. Zaire Williams. They're trying to get a lot of rangy guys around Jaw to kind of just make up for anything defensively, but also to just to get them a size advantage. And I think it could bode well. Uh, what what would be like, not necessarily by like player, but what kind of archetypes do you think is going to be important when building around Shea? Like when it maybe even the big wing or a certain type of big man that you need. I think we're seeing it right now, the type of big man that John needs. It's a guy like Jaron Jackson. But what what kind of what do you think that's needed around SGA if the Thunder is going to get to what they hope to achieve in this iteration of OKC basketball? I think definitely a lanky wing who can defend. Um, I know as of right now, obviously, you have Shea, Josh, and Lou. And a big knock on Lou from a lot of people is that he just doesn't have the length and he's just smaller than, you know, other elite defenders in the league, like Mikel or OG. Um, also, like, a guy like Bays, in terms of Darius Baisley's defense this year, uh, has been way better. Um, he still needs to improve in terms of team defense. But a guy like Bays, who also on the offensive end, can move and hit the shots they need to. Um, right. And then a five. I really, I think this is, I think this is one reason why they didn't take Sangoon. I don't, I think the Thunder probably also didn't expect Sangoon to be this good on the defensive end. Um, because if you have a guy, if you had like what people thought Sangoon was going to be coming in through the draft process, that Thunder defense would be getting just absolutely demolished. Um, and I, I tell people this all the time, you look at Shea and it's like, he has no excuse really not to be good at defense in terms of intangibles. Here's a six, six lanky guard, um, smart player. So he can read, uh, offenses. It's just more just the motor and just sometimes he has to be motivated to play defense. Um, and when he mm -hmm. is, he's just, you know, like jumping the whole time pretty much with his heels instead of actually sliding and playing defense. Um, but in terms of just like built around him, I think, just wings that can really, you know, we talked about can do a lot of a little of everything. Honestly, like an archetype of like a Jaron Jackson Jr. type, like how the theoretical ceiling that we think of uh, JJ, like that would be perfect. And that would be my dream scenario, honestly. Um, that's a guy who has he's a great defensive player in my opinion for like a young prospect. And then also on the offensive end, he's one of the best like sh young shooting bigs in the league, in my opinion. Um, it's just what the question with him always was just health. And like my opinion, the contract you guys got for him was, I was shocked to see some backlash to me. It was like an all out steal of like the, the reward could be insane on him. I understand health, especially with bigs are like, it's such a scary thing. I just, I feel like now I just, I very much like believe in like the 2021 medicine that we've been able to get to. Um, 
looking at just how guys come back from injuries, I don't think a lot of things are as bad as they were five to 10 years ago. Yeah. And it, it is a little bit with health. Like everyone was like, Oh, we, he's, he's been hurt a lot. Why are we giving him this contract? Especially with the PTSD from the Chandler Parsons experience. But, you know, I would say, and this is something I also meant to bring up with Steven Adams. The Grizzlies have just been spoiled by awesome big men since they've come to Memphis. Pau Gasol, Zach Randolph, Mark Gasol, Jonas, Valanciunas. Like, I, I think Jaron Jackson's great also. Like, I think he could be a very special player. But, you know, the the fan base, they really value those guys that are – those big men that are going to get in, do the gritty work, grab a bunch of rebounds, all that, and that's not Jaron Jackson's game. So they get on to him about how much he – how little he rebounds, how much he fouls, uh, how he likes to shoot a bunch of three-pointers instead of get in the post. Like, and it's just kind of like – Guys, it's just kind of the NBA nowadays. And if you have – in rebounding, say, it's a team kind of thing. If you're having – like, for example, last night, D'Anthony Melton grabbed 10 rebounds. Like, if you're having rebounding production from your guards, I think Jaws averaging five. Adams is averaging eight. So you can afford Jaron Jackson averaging five to six rebounds a game because you're getting it from other places. And I think that kind of goes unrecognized a little bit because we've been programmed to think, oh – Big man has to rebound because he's the big man. I, I think it's kind of silly, but it's fine. But, no, he, he's been awesome. I think he's a good archetype to have next to Ja. I think the only other archetype I could think to have next to Ja is just a bouncy big man that's like 6'11". Like, if they can find a way to get someone like Mitchell Robinson of that archetype, that would be awesome. I always say that I, I really wish that – Brandon Clark or Xavier Tillman would be 6'10 to 6'11 because that would be the perfect guy to have for jaw right there. Um, but yeah, it, it's really cool to see. Like it's really, especially with like stuff like last night, having five blocks against he had three on Siakam and it had that fast break block on Scotty Barnes. Super cool to see. So I, I'm glad to see him put it together for sure. What do you think of like his ball handling? Do you think like he could ever get to like not all out self-creation, but like maybe one or two possessions, like you see sometimes, well, Bayes overdoes it, but almost like a, to a lesser extent than Siakam does at times. I think if anything, it'd be more of Siakam-like, where I think he'll be at his best if he gets a little bit of momentum and just hits him with a good combo and burst. If he tries to do too much with it, I think it's not going to work. But I think with his body and how – I think he's deceptively strong. Like he's a, he's a lean guy, but he's like 240, 250. Like if he puts his shoulder in somebody off the drive, he's going to move them around a little bit. I think if he does that, if he just does a little bit of grab and go where he just like slowly brings it up and then finds a burst somewhere, I think it's just going to be one of those things we may not see until more towards the end of this year or maybe in year five. Cause I mean, he had that knee surgery and that knee surgery was yeah. one where the reason why it took so long is they, instead of just clearing out the meniscus, they totally repaired it, which was a six to nine month recovery process. And they mm -hmm. went towards the nine month one. I think he's got to get used to that, but also he's grown since he's entered the NBA. He came in six eleven, Now he's seven one. So it's just taking him time to just get reused to his body. But I think he'll be there. I really think he could be one of those, guys that can grab and go he could do a little bit of combo stuff i think one thing with him though that we probably won't see much of i think he's going to be attack and score kind of thing i don't think we'll see him be more of like a siakam in a way where like he's gonna create off the dribble and find his yeah. teammate for a kick out or anything i think that's gonna be where what he doesn't do but i if he does the other stuff i don't really care if he does that no, for sure. Especially for the contract you guys got him for. Like, that's a guy that if he was like upwards of not a max contract, but like a lot more money than he did. Um, mm -hmm. And I think just guys like that, I think people, as you said, like they want them down low and banging, especially like this is going to sound so like corny kind of like, especially like the people in like Oklahoma and the people in Memphis, like, you know, like blue collar people, like they, they want like the big men like that. And that's what they think like, 
people like think every big needs to be like Steven or every big needs to be like Zach Randolph banging down low in the paint, but that's just not like what the NBA is nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you said, like these guys who can almost do everything, like think about like three years from now, a guy like Jaron Jackson at the five is like just envisioning it. It's like, it's ridiculous oh, yeah. uh, in terms of being able to dribble the ball, being able to pass, being able to shoot and also being able to play defense on the other end. Like, that's where like that's why I'm so like jealous of you guys just in terms of having like you guys are the second youngest team in the league and it's like it's just ridiculous how good and how well they've drafted the past few years. It's really it's really great to see and honestly if these Zaire Williams and Santi Aldama picks hit in some capacity I don't think we should ever question the Grizzlies front office ever again on their drafting because they took two of the biggest swings at 10 and 30 for their picks. But, Yosef, uh, I really want to get you out on this, and I guess this is the big thing in the long view kind of thing where, you know, we're, we're both covering rebuilding teams, and they're rebuilding in different capacities. The Grizzlies are that rebuilding play-in team who went to the playoffs last year, and they reverted to make some more long-term moves, like trading Valanchunas and getting uh, Zaire, moving up for Zaire. Uh, trading away Grayson Allen for two second-round picks so they could play Desmond Bain and DeAnthony Melton more, taking swings on Jarrett Culver, stuff like that, where y'all as are more of we are full-blown rebuilding, playing a bunch of young guys, taking swings, acquiring draft picks and stuff like that. And for, for a lot of people, like for some people, you know, they understand the nuances of it. And it's like, okay, this is just the reality of it. But there's also just that some segment of its fandom where it's like, dude, we want to win right now. Like, I don't care what happens. I don't care about draft picks. I don't care about what happens five years down the road. I want to win right now. So, and I think this has been a big thing with the Grizzlies, Twitter and stuff too, because they had that playoff success. There's been some steps back where it's like, oh no, we suck. Or what's the front office doing? They need to fire Taylor Jenkins. All this overreactionary crap, in my opinion. Um, just when it comes to your, especially the base that you have, like, how do you preach patience when it comes to this team to honestly, people that may just be impatient about the process in general? I think the biggest thing is like trying to just explain to them, like, while yes, people can say morally is tanking. Okay. Probably not. But this is just at the end of the day, every one of these NBA teams are a business. And this is just how smaller markets have to that's what they have to do to maximize their business potential um that's just the way i've looked at it and especially something i've struggled with in terms of like how to explain it and not really be kind of condescending when i explain it because it can get frustrating whenever you like have to keep just reiterating it and it's something i struggled with when i took over this new account because on the old account it was a very specific type of demographic I had like X's and O's people and then thunder people, but the thunder people who followed were also like much more younger and understood like why the team is having to do what they have to do. And I think now it's like a lot more just general Oklahomans also following the page. So like sometimes they'll, I'll just get tweets and like, why isn't this guy in the game? Or why is that guy still playing? Like uh, Darius Baisley, for example, he has been probably the most polarizing guy on the, on the team this year. Um, And people, get frustrated. And I understand I, I had for the first time in my like three years of base fandom, like I had my low point against the clips for like, I think I finally just tweeted, like, I may be done with base. Like I just can't do it anymore. But I think like the biggest thing is Mark Schindler said this on one of his pods and it's like, has to do a player development. It's like, whenever you see it, like a guy like base base used to just drive. And when I tell you he threw things up, I mean, it was hitting the top of the backboard, all this. And now it's like, Oh, He's, he's getting 10% closer, 15% closer. And my biggest thing with people is trying to tell them, like, ignore the results. It's look at just strictly the process of everything. Um, how did the guy get that shot that they created? What led up to it? Who cares if the ball, obviously, eventually, and Bayes is further along than most of the young guys on our team. So eventually, the shot does have to fall. And eventually, the consistency has to be there. But like early on, like, let's just focus on like what what led up to what they did, what led up to a lot of the times with Shea uh, against Milwaukee, for example, Shea had 
one of the worst shooting nights of his career I think I've ever watched. It was the first time I've watched him where he was very, like, it was, you could tell he was forcing the offense. He was trying to find a groove. He was creating the same space he always does. The shot just wasn't falling. Right. And there were people in my mentions losing their minds. And they're like, this person needs to take it. Or if he doesn't understand it. And I was trying to explain to him, like, guys, it's, this is a, for a tanking team. Like this is a team that's, it's a pointless regular season game in November. Who cares? We took the defending champs to the final buzzer, you know, like, mm. and I think that's one thing, as you said, with Memphis fans, like you guys are the second youngest team in the league. You made the playoffs last year. What a playoff run. Like there was times where I was watching, I was like, yo, this like reminds me of the grit and grind era. Like just like pl- Dylan Brooks playing defense. Like you saw jaw, like d- that was like jaws breakout. I feel like in the playoffs. It was, while, it was for while, sure. Yeah. Like everyone knew jaw was going to be a star. But it was just like, when was it going to happen? And then he's coming out and he's dropping 30 a night and like his floater looked beautiful. And like, those are the moments, like, I think people need to appreciate more. And like, I think that's why I really liked your guys's moves in the summer because it showed like the front office wasn't buying the playoff run and being like, okay, let's rush this rebuild. And I think it's one thing, like I'm trying to tell Thunder fans now, like we're at level one still, like we're at, we're right there at the beginning there's no point in trading picks just to have instant gratification. I, every front office has a different goal. There are front offices who want to win championships, like the big markets. And then there are front office front offices who are just okay with making the playoffs. Like the Thunder have said multiple times, like Sam Presti has used uh, uh, like sustained success is what he said. Like he, he wants a team to be, be good for a while not just, you know, push all these chips in let's win a cut let's reach the playoffs lose and then go home because mm-hmm. like for example you said some grizzlies fans were like upset about just at times the, i know they hit a rough patch after like their fourth or fifth game this past season the same fans that like don't want to be patient will be those fans that are upset when the team is a first round elimination every year i mean like thunder fans like we we were bounced out the first round four years in a row after kd left and like the same people who were like yelling about blow it up like it's over are the same people who are like wanting to excel this rebuild rebuilds aren't fun and like the thunders fan base especially like we've been so spoiled like i don't think in history ever will there be a group where there be a three guys in kd harden and russ that will be like that good that fast and we were just like insanely spoiled and that's how we think things have to things have to happen is like we're just going to be good like that and it's mm-hmm. just not the case. Like there is, there is less than a 0.5% chance that Shea is ever as good as any of those guys. And that, that it sucks to say, but it's like, you know, it's just, those, those are three top 75 players of all time. Right. And it's, it's, it's difficult. And I think fans just have to like, understand that, especially like with the Memphis teams, you guys were so good for so long, but it was like, that was the sustained success. It's been so long since the Grizzlies, like, were not in the playoffs before last year. It was what three, four years or something like, like that. Yeah, it was only four years. Yeah, like in reality, four years missing the playoffs, like for a small market, that's amazing. Like, look at LA. They went from what 2012 to 2019 without ever making, and that's a big market. Mm-hmm. It is tough. Like, I sit there sometimes and I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, yes, I can sit here and be like, oh, the 2023 draft and get excited over it. And like, but I know like not every fan is eating and breathing it like that like you know they're just general right. they're game by games yeah exactly and it can be difficult like obviously you want to win games you know but it's it's a long-term process and like i've realized at this point like wow i loved those like post kd era teams in reality sat there every night and had to lie to myself that they were a western conference contender or like we could beat blah 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 if we match up in the with them in the first round and like that's just not fun being a fan, you know, it's just not enjoyable. And then like ending your season in frustration every year, like last year, I, like if I was a Grizzlies fan, I would have been happy as hell to like make oh, it re- as far as we did, you know? Oh yeah. And you know, it's just one of those things where like the pandemonium, pandemonium like shifted each game because they're a 500 team. So it's like one night they lose and it's like, Oh dude, I wish you could have gotten to see the freaking war zone that happened after OKC beat Memphis when Poku <laughs> dropped 25. I, I got off Twitter immediately. It was pretty bad. 
but you like stuff like that. So it's like one week, it's like, oh, this team could be get home court in the first round. And then the next, it's like, well, this is a top five or bottom five team in the league. It's like, if you're basing your mood game by game, it's not going to be a good experience. But I think you've shared very, very good insights there. I, I think these two teams are teams that the like, Sam Presti, Zach Kleiman, they're like, you know, we're going to try to compete or we're going to try to build a winner to where when LeBron's 40, when Steph Curry's in his upper 30s, like when those guys, like Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, when those guys are in their mid 30s, that, that's our window right there. And I, I think what they're doing is it's good. We'll, we'll see, we still got to see a lot of the results, draft picks, player development, stuff along those lines. But I think you, you nailed the, hit the nail on the head there when it comes to uh, being patient there. But uh, Yosef, that's about all the time we have. But do you have any like final remarks before we close the show? No, man, I appreciate you having me. Um, both teams are, you guys are much more fun to watch than we are, um, of course. But both teams, I think, have, you know, their, their blue chipper and Shea and Jaw. Uh, I think fans just have to really recognize that player development isn't linear. Um, these guys yep. are really young and they're going to hit rough patches. It happens, but it's really just one of those things where you can't be too reactionary to it. Absolutely. And I, I really like how you say, said the not linear thing. Cause that is what Zach Kleiman said after last season's press conferences. He said, just remember this development isn't linear. So, I, so I think it all, it's all very fun to watch. Just enjoy the flashes. Enjoy when this team's high. And just try to stay calm when the lows hit, I think. So, uh, yeah, Joseph, just let the people know where they can follow you and uh, see your work. Um, you can follow me at Thunder Film Room. That's where I'm posting all of my Thunder stuff right now. And then you can follow me also at Air Yosef, like Air Jordan. Um, that's where I'm going to be doing my like draft work and most of my other team breakdowns. Uh, been kind of lacking just because of school, but I only have three weeks left. So after that is like when I'll really dive into everything else. Absolutely. And then draft, draft coverage will be there before you know it. So y'all make sure y'all follow Yosef, both at his personal account at Air Yosef, as well as his Thunder Twitter account called at Thunder Film Room. Very great account. If you want to keep a pulse on the Thunder without watching their games, I would very highly suggest following his account. You can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Make sure you are reading all of our work over at grizzlybearblues.com, the official Memphis Grizzlies affiliate blog of the SB Nation Network. Forgot to mention that at the beginning of the pod. Follow us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies and make sure you're liking, subscribing, and downloading to the Grizzly Bear Blues podcast network so on spotify apple podcast google podcast stitcher megaphone iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts for every single episode of the long view gbb live the 3d podcast core four podcast and the starting five podcast with that that's it 